This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Katie Balls, The Spectator, and Paul Goodman, A Conservative Home. Katie, today I think the lot of the front page has been dominated by what's been happening with Rishi Sunak and the Parliamentary Commission for Standards opening investigation into one of his interests, which uh, it's alleged he didn't declare properly. Uh, talk us through the story, really, and you know how much of a kind of significant impact is this going to be on politics and does it pose any reputational risk to Rishi Sunak at all? Well I think just the fact the story is which is Rishi Sunak being investigated by Parliament Watchdog I think the spectators did sleaze watchdog by whoever is the right steer pike and I some people tweeting saying (laughs) that is unfair you know as soon as you have headlines saying that you have a situation where it's clearly not a net positive for the Prime Minister I think if you scratch the surface it's not clear to me at this you know so perilous or significant for Rishi Sunak I think it's certainly unhelpful but it comes down to what you register so there's been some comparison saying oh it shows you Tory sleaze from Boris Johnson to Rishi Sunak the Tories cannot escape it and that's certainly you know a line that some of the opposition are pushing I think it gets quite technical quite quickly so ultimately this all comes down to an appearance Rishi Sunak at the Liaison Committee, where he was asked when he was answering questions, is there anything that he would like to declare in terms of his interests? And said there was nothing that came to mind, went on to talk about childcare firm, the childcare offer that the Chancellor unveiled in the budget. And one of the firms that effectively benefits from this policy is Koru Kids. Now his wife has a stake in this. And because he did not come out and say that, and because it's not on his parliamentary declarations of interest, and this has now been referred and they're looking into whether he should have made this clear and near the time. Now, the number 10 defence is effectively that he has declared all these interests um, in his ministerial interests, but partly because of the heavy changing of the guard and the number of ministers we've had in recent times that has yet to be published. So I think the question is, should he, on top of this, have also put it on his parliamentary interests? And secondly, should he have known to say it during the panel? Do people think that he is realistically making a lot of money from this interest and therefore the policy is motivated by helping his wife? Mm. I think there's an interesting point here, which is, Part of the argument almost is his wife, who is a billionaire heiress, has so many stakes in different projects, it's almost unreasonable to think Rishi Sunak would know every single one. So I think we can get onto the wealth perception issue, but this is really quite technical. And I think, you know, it comes down to when will these things be published to to know where we get to. Yeah, I mean, Paul, big question really. Is Rishi Sunak's wealth a net positive or negative? It's a statement of the obvious that any negative story about someone is a negative story and it's not going to help them. But I have to confess, and I may have an absent spot about this, I cannot take this story seriously. And the idea that before the budget, Rishi Sunak will have phoned up Jeremy Hurt and said, here, you know what, my wife's going to make a packet out of childcare. So I want you to put something about that in the budget. Yeah, Jeremy Hurt says, fine, boss, anything you like <laughs> is absurd. I mean, this story is... just a few more million. It's, it's just a few more This story is, is ridiculous. <laughs> 
as the idea that Keir Starmer declares a few football tickets late should be taken seriously. They're both equally absurd. So to the actual question, I mean, I think the voters think rich is like, is rich, is rich, is rich. End of story. And if you don't like that, you won't like it. Mm. There will be some people somewhere this week who think, well, actually, it's not a bad thing because he's so rich, he can't possibly be in the whole business to make money. <laughs> a very yeah. sort of 19th century approach. Very, him. very 19th century approach. So I don't really think this is in the first order of significant things, to put it mildly. The one interesting thing about it, from my point of view, is that actually, in a way, it's about him continuing to live in the post Boris Johnson, Liz Trust chaos. So the you know Nadim Zahawi Bruhaha was part of that. The Dominic Rabster is arguably part of that. But the fact is, this is all about, in a way, him not having published this in the ministerial code because the ministerial code is so late because everything is behind hand and in a mess after those two premiership so i think that is maybe an interesting aspect of what i think is a fairly trivial story no i i I completely agree with that but what i would just say is that there are you know six investigations going on in 10 p's right now by the parliamentary commission for standards three of them are tories and three of them are suspended tories among them includes the chris pincher scott benton claims matt hancock as well i mean do you think there's perhaps a sense that the tories could be you know there could be a narrative of sleaze for which this relatively trivial crime that Rishi Sunak's accused of can get sort of swept up into that picture. It could be, but I wonder if the situation is a bit different from the 1990s, which is when you had all these stories, which is voters now think they are all at it. And if you look at that big group of now independent MPs, now sort of burgeoning group, full of people who have been you know, kicked out of their parties, it's roughly 50-50. So I'm not sure it's helpful to labour. It may be in the short term, rather like their, their attack ad, which is mm. an interesting subject in itself. But there's a downside because this is a dog that could also come back to bite them. And Katie, that's obviously one story that's gripping Westminster today. The other is we expect within a couple of days we're going to be seeing, days or weeks, the report by Anthony KC into Dominic Raab and the bullying claims. Talk us through what the kind of current expectation within government is about that report. So I think this is a test for Rishi Sunak because we're talking a bit about the Tory sleaze narrative, which I think Labour would love to keep going, Mm. um, so as to keep up this idea that the Tories have not managed to escape the psychodrama uh, loop of the Boris Johnson, Liz Truss governments. And the fact that you've had a fairly calm past month is something which, you know, is unhelpful to Keir Starmer. Um, You had a situation last week where there was more infighting, at least in the papers, amongst Labour politicians than there were Tory politicians. I can't remember the last time that was the case, really. And therefore, you know, it seems to me, this won't last very long, but for a few days there, it seemed like the Tories were the more sane party on, on party management. So, you know, that, if the Tories were able to keep that up, um, that would be quite significant and really hurt Keir Starmer in terms of what Labour want to say about Rishi Sunak, which is, this is a shiny new leader, but the party is exactly the same. Don't mistake a new leader for a new look party. So anything they can do to add to that narrative that they will seize on. The Dominic Raab report, and of course we don't have the contents yet, and there are some reports saying they expect it to not come out of a decisive verdict I think there are others who think actually it could be it could be clearer cut so so that is again one of these great mysteries will soon become clear but I think it poses a problem for Rishi Sunak in the sense that he chose in his first speech to talk about how his would be a government of integrity Mm. and there are lots of areas where Rishi Sunak doesn't want to be very different to Boris Johnson because he doesn't have a mandate 
uh, in terms of the membership, in terms of voters. So therefore he's sticking very closely, apart from maybe a bit of math, a few other areas, science department, but generally he's sticking pretty closely to the 2019 manifesto. He is not doing what Liz trusted and almost, you know, trying to rewrite everything. One area where he in that speech was quite clear, I think, that he was making a distinction, was on integrity and running a government and standards. And therefore, those words can come back to haunt him. And I think, therefore, if this report has enough in it to at least suggest that Dominic Raab was found to have behaved in a way which could be classed as bullying, intimidating behaviour, he risks, if he doesn't take action, looking as though he is protecting his friend, because Dominic Raab is a close ally of Rishi Sunak. He, of course, defended him multiple times in that summer leadership contest was banished to political Siberia by Liz Truss as a result and therefore different uh, situations but Rishi Sunak getting rid of Nadim Zahari and sacking him is not a particularly painful thing for Rishi Sunak to do because Nadim Zahari was uh, Boris Johnson ally. Now every action will have a consequence but I think that if Rishi Sunak looks as though, you know, to pay what's on the port, he is doing favours for mates or he treats some differently than others, it will go back quite heavily on what he says in his speech and how he wants to show he's different. Yeah, and of course, Paul, this is the Deputy Prime Minister, the Lord Chancellor, great gigs given to him, unlike Ndeem Zahawi, who I think was very much seen more as a kind of Boris Liz person who Rishi had to appoint. Mm. Uh, do you think this is sort of different from previous cases? And well, the- he, he's also the Foreign Secretary who was in office when the Afghanistan debacle happened so I have to declare an interest here because my godson Raphael Marshall was the foreign office whistleblower so exactly at that time I came up a bit about the against the working methods of Dominic Raab as it were uh, and let's say they were regarded as unusual in Whitehall he was you know regarded as a, a very forceful and demanding minister the question is whether he stepped over the line into bullying whether these accusations of bullying that are cast around government a lot now whether they reflect a real increase in bullying or whether they reflect something that was always there but no one ever talked about or, you know, whether the present generation of civil service is more snowflakey than the ones before. You take your choice and we'll have to see the report. I think what will damage Rishi Sunak more, unless he reports really bad for Dominic Rubb and he tries to cling on to Dominic Rubb, I think what will actually damage him more is an impression of incompetence so if he doesn't deliver on the boats, or is seen to deliver, if he doesn't deliver on the NHS in particular, it really looks as though the strikes, he's in, he's in real trouble. I think that's worse for him, because this kind of Tory recovery in the polls, sort of creeping up, can only surely be because life's a bit quieter than it was under Truss and Boris Johnson, and the voters must, more voters must like that, more voters must be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But if it all goes belly up on boats and the NHS and inflation, he's going to find it very tough. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think you have a situation by which you see the polls are tightening slightly, but not yet at a point where I think uh, anyone in number 10 can get out the champagne. But the next few weeks, the next few months, I think will tell us whether that is just perhaps what was going to happen just by calming things down slightly the polls you know returning to you know a less hellish point for the Tories whether it's part of a long-term trend and if you have a situation where you know that keeps going and it keeps going down that's how you keep the Tory party on the side so it's not only you need to keep those challenges obviously they need to solve them but also in terms of party management which 
if the Tory party just looks like it's fighting and is very chaotic, it's much harder to do everything else. So I think the next few months are pretty pivotal, even though the next election you know, won't be till next year. Rishi Sunak has to keep up a sense of slowly mm. closing the gap. Now, I've spoken to some of the Tory party. They are technically, in their minds, fine with just, you know, gaining a point every month or so, every two months. But I think it just has to be going in the right way. Otherwise, it doesn't take much for this to, you know, someone said, you know, if this looks as though it was a brief recovery and all the problems start to dominate again because of things like strikes, it's much harder. And I think with the local elections, that is going to be difficult for the narrative in the sense they might not be as bad as people expect. Of course, you have the coronation soon after. But if you have mass Lib Dem success mm. and it looks as though Rishi Sunak is struggling in the blue wall, it, it's not that this is going to be a moment of peril for Rishi Sunak. I just think it hurts this recovery narrative and one of rejuvenation, which they've worked quite hard to get, almost against the odds in the past month, um, but it would jar against them. And Paul, just finally, to your party management there from Katie, it's today the centenary of the 1922 committee. What do you think most commentators and the public get wrong about it, other than the fact that, of course, it was started in 1923? I don't think they particularly get the 1922 committee wrong. I think people who are interested in politics have a sort of pretty good feel uh, intuitively for how it all works, which is that the Tories have got this very peculiar psychology, which is they feel, I think this is still true despite all the changes in the party, they've got sort of entitlement to rule. So therefore the psychology goes from completely hysterical upbeat when they big, win big majorities, like after 2019, of the kind of, oh, we're going to win, we're on our way, Labour are finished, to complete panic when the bottom drops out of the polls. And we saw some of that last year. The 22, in a way, is the sort of mechanism that judges that. When things are going well, you don't tend to sort of hear from it. When things are going badly, suddenly you're very aware of the meetings, even, you know, going back in history to 1975 and the famous Milk Street Mafia that helped to oust Ted Heath. They tend to raise their heads. I mean, just finally, it'll be interesting to see who the new chair of the 1922 committee is when the present one, Graham Brady, goes. Because Brady has become something of an institution. He's enormously long-serving. He's seen these endless leadership elections. He's really been a leading rebel himself. At one point during COVID, he really was, in a way, the leader of the opposition in Parliament because he was anti-lockdown. So it's always worth keeping an eye on the 22s. You never know where the hysteria panic cycle is going to take you next. We certainly will. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.